The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Update. I'm your host, Tony Harper, and today I'm shooting in my home studio, so it's a little different look than you would get from the other studio I usually shoot at. Um, I'm also shooting it on my laptop, which uh, is having a little bit of recording issues, and I hope that it doesn't end up having those issues the entire time. So sound should come off fine, and I'll release the podcast today. Uh, the video for the YouTube may be released today unless I end up having an issue. So as usual, we will start with the news. And first part of the news, I want to thank you guys for listening and downloading this show. Um, according to the podcast, Father Matt Johnson uh, we've had been downloaded nearly 7,000 times in the first month and already 2,000 times in April. So thank you guys for listening. Again, don't forget you can like, share, and follow on all major podcast medias and on YouTube. All right, so off for the rest of the news. So <clears throat> Dune takes home six of the ten Oscars it was award nominated for uh, at the Oscar show. Uh, it was also nominated for Best Picture, but lost to CODA. The director wasn't upset for not being nominated for Best Director. He also discussed challenges uh, for filling Dune Part 2. Dune Part 2 should release October 20th of 2023. Disney Plus is planning on a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special for December this year. It should be a 40-minute special that promises to introduce new characters to the MCU. It will also be shot at the same time that they're shooting Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which does release on May 23rd of 23. Lead actress has been selected for a Peacock series called Mrs. Davis. Betty Gilpin will play Mrs. Davis, a nun who goes against an all-powerful AI. The series was ordered by Paramount in 2001, or sorry, 2021, um, and it has no release date yet. They just started finalizing cast members and all that kind of stuff for it. Bandai, Nak- Bandai Namco is creating a Gundam Metaverse. Um, this is some kind of like theme park type thing in the metaverse. Um, it will include games, anime, and models, and more. Um, I think this may be the way some of the studios are going, all that kind of stuff. There, A lot of people are very sure that the VR is going to take off, um, that right now it's sort of in its infancy and kind of like, early internet was now that we've finally got to the point where you can do data and a lot more high speed stuff like that. I expect that they may be right. You're going to see a lot more stuff coming out on the verse. 
On another Metaverse story, artist Grimes is writing an intergalactic children's book uh, that you can purchase using only crypto coins. Uh, There wasn't a lot more to that article that I read. Uh, I do find that a little interesting. I mean, her and uh, Elon Musk are big proponents of crypto coins. Uh, So we'll wait and see what that's going to be all about. Uh, Apple finally announces that Dark Matter will be coming to Apple TV+. It will be a nine-part sci-fi thriller based on the book of the same name, Dark Matter. Uh, Hopefully we can see it soon. I don't have a release date on that yet. A New Zealand Mint uh, creates some collectible coins of Star Wars, uh, Lord of the Ring, and a whole bunch of other older Batman and more stuff. So for $2,900, you can get a gold one-ounce coin of Jabba the Hutt or the Death Star, which is, you know, I'd rather have that one. You can get a three-ounce silver Millennium Falcon for $299. That's not too bad. Or like a one-ounce silver Grogu uh, coin. Yeah, Grogu. Uh, for about $100. I think it was 99 bucks. The voice actor for Anakin in the Clone Wars, Matt um, uh, Latrin. I... Sorry, I can't read my own handwriting from my notes here. Um, but he was emer- uh, rushed to emergency surgery on Monday uh, last week. So not tomorrow, Monday, because uh, the show will release on Tuesday. But the week before that, he was diagnosed with a blockage in his small intestines after days of abdominal pain. The surgery went well, and he is recovering and hopefully doing better at this point in time. Obi-Wan got a two-day delay, and it will now be starting May 27th versus May 25th. It's a Friday versus a Wednesday. I think Disney Plus is trying to compete with other releases coming out, um, especially stuff on like Paramount that's releasing on Friday, Halo, or um, I think Variety, or not, uh, Amazon Prime is also releasing stuff on Fridays. And I think it's an attempt to compete with them for the same day type of thing. Uh, tickets for Doctor Strange 2 goes on sale April 6th. So one day after this uh, airs, the film will be released on May 6th, and there will be select showings on May 5th. So if you're interested in getting to the theater first, uh Tomorrow will be the day to buy your tickets. Paramount is set to release a new version of Deep Space Nine that they're calling a Demastered Edition. It plans on releasing it on VHS. Due to the next-gen poor sales on Blu-ray, and what they were saying was like things like when they did highly remaster stuff for Data's Eyes and kind of made them creepy-looking, they decided to go this route, kind of like it's on vinyl, right? Uh, should be available for you on Star Trek Day, September 8th, 2022. Um, they were planning on adding all kinds of like uh, other things, like tape overs to it. 
for like sports games or other things similar to that. I do believe that this article, since it did come out on April 1st with an April Fool's Day joke. So thank you for listening to that one. And the final thing I got for you today is Leonard Nimoy's Spock ears are going to the Smithsonian. The family decided to donate it to the Smithsonian versus selling them um, for what they probably could have got large amounts of money for. Um, I think it was a good choice by the family. I think it really does respect uh, Leonard's Nimoy's, uh, you know, wishes for this kind of thing. All right. So that's what I got for you for the news. There are a couple other things that have come out, but a lot of my news this week was um, had some of that joke stuff in there, too. So I'm not sure what to trust or not. And I'll get back to you next week. Uh, hopefully I'll be recording in studio again next week. I know I kind of look a little funky under the lights here. I got to do something about that. Anyway, off to today's topic. Today's topic, we are going to talk about David Weber. He is one of my favorite authors. Um, I've enjoyed his series since uh, his book came out, Honor Harrington series. Let me just turn that just a little bit so you can see a little bit better. Uh, when was the copyright date on this one? Because I've been read in, reading it since this book came out practically in 1993. So he's been around for a while. I definitely enjoy what he writes um, and how he goes about writing things. He tends to take characters and develops them as they go along. So like in the first book here on Baskelet Station, Honor Harrington, you're introduced to her, but she's a little flatter and all that kind of stuff till you get towards the end of the book. And she's being presented with challenges throughout the entire book and the entire series that she has to overcome. Um, some of these things are great stories, great protagonist um, stories in which he not only challenges them, but he challenges himself to adapt his, um, let's say like, cause it, this is all shot during like a wartime thing. So he adapts the technology to the uh, fictional war that he has going on. So for instances, um, he uses what they call a, um, uh, gravity drive. So they focus gravity for, um, making that so he can warp space time to maneuver through space uh, fairly quickly. And it, it functions very well. So he challenges himself, well, how do you get around that kind of thing? Um, he created some interesting things where it's a little bit weaker on one side of the plane versus the elliptic. Like, so your x-axis it's weaker than the y-axis type of thing because usually you want to go forward they're shooting it so that it's on the uh y-axis kind of in the upper part of the y-axis and the lower part of the y-axis and they kind of you know uh how am i going to do this here <laughs> i keep fucking this up but anyway they kind of just punch it together and when they go closer together like that he's creating a space to basically shoot the ship forward type of thing. And he thought about how to lay that all out and the implications, all that kind of stuff and how to write it out so that you would understand that like, that's what he was trying to do. And 
I really did enjoy reading this entire series. Um, he also has a couple other books, uh, the Prince Rogers series, Going to the Stars. Um, what is it? Uh, I don't know if that was one of his earlier works or not. It's I like the Prince Rogers series. It was um, very well-written sci-fi. Uh, he does introduce a, a unique alien of like six armed alien species on this basically planet like he did with his um, tree cat type of thing. So the tree cat in the Honor Harrington series has six limbs. And he thought about how that would affect both their war fighting capabilities, how it would affect um, how they stand or don't stand and how various other things would look differently from a creature that had six limbs versus just the four limbs like humans have. All right. And, or even like an eight limb arachnid type of thing. He did kind of do a little bit of thinking about that. So I enjoy that kind of stuff. His other series is a sci-fi series set in the future. Um, I have one of the books right here. It's, dang it, I got to put myself, there we go. So uh, that's like the seventh book in the series, I think. Uh, yeah, Off Armageddon Reef, it's the Safe Hold series, that's what it is. Starts it, and yeah, this is like book eight or nine in that series. And that's a sci-fi future in that one in which mankind was basically almost defeated by an advanced alien race. So the advanced aliens believe that there was only so much energy in the universe and every high-tech civilization made that energy deplete quicker based on creating the space-time warps and that kind of stuff. So he, the advanced... um civilization that was created that was in the fight with the aliens basically sent people off to a very far distant planet before the aliens can get to them and hopefully that is not super loud for you because the washing machine just started and hopefully you guys aren't hearing that but it sounds like a freaking helicopter just took off in my house so sorry about it so anyway the aliens we're, we're chasing the humans and basically they outran them. They went to a planet and then they recreated society, but kept it only at a steam level society or below that. So like a medieval time thing and how that would affect in how much you can overwrite people or not overwrite people. I mean, the people in his future for this one lived for about a thousand years, but they took a lot of that out. Um, when they did the reproducing for people so that um, it would be harder for them to overpopulate the planet. It would be also harder for them to keep the high technology stuff up that allowed them to live for almost a thousand years before they died. And he put like some people into cryostasis at the same time to come back and check on things every um few thousand years and they were going to wait until the next cycle because they had learned some stuff by hitting up on some other advanced civilizations uh, while they were trying to outrun this um, super alien race that was killing everybody off 
Uh, they found out that they come by every 10,000 years and basically go through the galaxy and wipe out everybody that got over a certain level of advancement. They didn't really care if they weren't over a certain level of advancement. Because I guess in their head, 10,000 years was just enough time for them to go from a uh, basically like a pre-industrial civilization all the way through an advanced enough civilization to to go to multiple stars type of thing. I found that entire series very enjoyable. I think his characters in there are have a lot more depth because this came on later on. It was about uh, the same time he was doing Her- Honor Harrington stuff, but a little bit after his like fourth or fifth book in Honor Harrington. And he was kind of giving Honor Harrington a little bit of a break. I mean, he still writes the Honor Harrington series, and it's still a very enjoyable series. Uh, but off Armageddon Reef really does um you can definitely tell how much much more mature of an author he became after that um if you have not read any of these books i would definitely highly suggest you go out and go check them out um i'm debating whether i want to do a book review for each one because right now my show is only at like 20 minutes and i know that's kind of a really short one but I also have to go and do a whole bunch of other things. So I don't know how much of a book review I'm going to do, but I will go into um, his first Honor Harrington book. Because like, like I said, I love the Honor Harrington series very, very much. Um, and and the first book, honestly, is one of the books you could sort of skip over. Um, it does set the basis for a lot of things. But... Um, it's really kind of written at more of a maybe a young adult level or something like that. Like he really doesn't get the character depth starting in that one. Uh, short Victorious War just shortly after that allows the same buildup, but actually gets into the, the war and how things go and a lot of different stuff. And then it will, then it will relate back to things also that happened in the book on Basculist Station. Um. So let's get into basculation. Um, how do I want to put this here? So, in the book, uh, Commander Honorton, Honor Harrington is really given her second, or no, it's her third hyper capable uh, command ship. So, uh, hyper capable allows that ship to jump into hyperspace to avoid. Um, or to travel between stars. So in in space, it's done with impulse em- engine, which is, again, that tightening of the gravity wave type of thing to make it pinch together to kind of excel you or do super acceleration. And they also have a, uh inertial dampener in the ships to make them so you don't go splat against the wall type of thing. Um, just so you get a basis, because I don't know if he repeats any of that in the books after that. Um, he does go into a little bit of detail about some of that stuff in some of the books after that. But I just wanted you to have that understanding if you're going to skip over, like I said, the first book. Um, so we start off in Manicore. Um, Honor Harrington's given her first hyper or her first cruiser command. Now the cruiser commands are really the, the ship of choice. Um, even for, for Navy, 
and I was formerly in the Navy as well. So this is why it also kind of related heavily to why I enjoyed it, enjoyed the book and series. Um, and she gets onto the ship and it's in the middle of a refit. All right. Um, and what they ended up doing with this refit is they ended up changing um, out the entire normal armament for a cruiser ship. Usually a cruiser ship is designed to go and attack the other ships of the wall type of thing uh, as a quick charge-in type of thing. It's kind of like a, a anti-aircraft carrier type of ship. All right, it does it does allow it to do a bunch of different other things, but it's it's like a giant anti-aircraft type of carrier thing. Uh, or battleship, actually. He starts it off as more like an anti-battleship type of ship. That that's probably the better analogy. Um and when you go into this, what they did is they changed it up to have what's called a grav lance in there. Grav lances are an extremely powerful weapon, but it's a very short-range weapon. So imagine trying to take a missile-capable ship right up against a battleship, and in order to get in range of the battleship, you have to basically get up to where you can see the battleship on the open water type of thing. Battleships can shoot over the top of the horizon, so you're getting underneath all that fire and the missiles stuff that the battleship is um, shooting out at you in order to get in there to uh, destroy that battleship. Um, Honor Harrington was not a big fan of this refit and how that happened, but she had to do something with it. So she takes that ship and, and one of the practice things against other ships of the wall she manages to take out one of these huge battleships with it. Also happened to be, because they use some insider hacking and knowledge and all that, happened to be the admiral who was controlling another 10 ships of the wall and about 20 more cruisers and some destroyers and all that kind of stuff. So she manages to sneak in close enough to destroy that ship and... They basically is like, oh, this proves the concept and all that kind of stuff. But the only way it really works is the enemy doesn't know it's there. So once the enemy figures out that it's there, they did nothing but to hunt down Honor Harrington's ship for the next basically three or four weeks of doing these battle exercises. And um, they did like 10 or 15 different live action scenarios. And her ship got destroyed every time before it even got close enough to destroy another one of those battleships. So she gets kind of exiled unfairly because, you know, the refit that somebody else did. And basically her mentor knew she was going to wig out about that refit and all that kind of stuff. So he decided to surprise it on her. And basically she got put in charge of the ship before she realized the refit had happened. And, you know, she's the captain now. She has to deal with the consequences. So the consequences of that, the admiral who came up with, hey, this is a great idea, was like, well, I can't say this isn't a great idea now. I'm just going to banish you to another star system type of thing. And basically she gets banished to an off, um, out-of-the-way type star system. So, you know, she's 
right there in the, the capital of Washington, D.C., and gets kicked out to Wyoming, right, out in the middle of nowhere. So um, she's out there, and to keep that analogy going, you know, she gets over there. She basically goes to a Indian tribe type of thing where this other planet has an indigenous life form that's pre-industrial age. Um, so the only thing that the Federation, or not the Federation, the, um, what do they call these, these guys in here? It's, it's a monarchy is the controlling planet of um, Manicore. And the Manicorians are basically an analogy sort of like England, sort of a cross between England and the U.S. and some of the best aspects of each one of those. But they are a heredity monarchy type of thing. So there are some other downfalls with it too. But if you go into the political system, it's really kind of interesting as well. Uh, and I won't really get into that too much for you because the first book's more about the action, which is what's there to draw you in. And then some of the other ones get into a little bit more of the political aspects and how things are could have evolved differently for various things. Uh, one of the, my favorite things is the bad guy ends up being uh, an analogy for the U.S. type of thing. I won't get into that here yet because it's not really too much in this first book. So anyway, she gets banished to this planet with, with aliens on it and basically just one little um, conclave type of thing. So all the off-worlders are only supposed to be in this one point on the planet. And they're in there and just doing their jobs, really how realizing how much, oh, I take that back. So the captain on station when she arrives happens to be more or less her arch nemesis within the um her majesty's service and there's some history on it and i can't remember if it's in this book or the next book i don't want to spoil that history for you uh, but basically he tries to stab her in the back by leaving her in charge with just a cruiser instead of there's supposed to be two cruisers uh in there. So she only realizes that after she gets in system, like who's in charge and, and she realizes that she's going to get screwed because this guy has tried to screw her before. And, um, so he basically gets everybody on his ship to sign off that his ship needs a major refit. And he basically sneaks back to the home world because he doesn't want to sit there on station uh, on her ship on top of everything else, but because she doesn't like her. And then he wants to like blame her because he left her in charge of her not being able to carry out her mission. So she thinks about all that stuff and how that's going to affect her. And she decides that she's going to carry out her mission. Um, and it's not the easiest thing to do. She not only has to patrol the planet, she also has to patrol this wormhole junction point. So the wormholes, the reason why Manicor is such an important place is that it's basically a junction point for seven different wormholes. And 
those wormholes take hyperspace, which can take you a long time to travel in hyperspace. It's not, um, it's kind of like Star Trek's warp drive as far as timing and all that kind of stuff. And wormholes are wormhole. Like you pop into one side of the wormhole, you pop out on the other side of the wormhole. So it's instantaneous travel. And again, Basculus Station from Manicore is, is about a thousand light years away. So it's like impossibly far distance. There are other wormholes that that one connects to um, anywhere from 100 light years to 500 and several different distances. I forgot what they all were. Um, but she's on that one that's like the furthest out um, that nobody really cares that much about. So she gets banished out to there. The terminus for that is out in the middle space and the star system under impulse drive, basically, if you want to do the Star Trek analogy, is about a 22-hour, almost a whole day's travel to get to the planet side. So she gets there, planet side, you know, goes over and meets with the captain, realizes he's getting off, and realizes that she's going to screw, get, get screwed. So they both go back towards the wormhole thing. As soon as he goes out, she decides to do her job. And realistically, the... Uh, crew that she had on there blamed her for failing to take a ship that she knew would have been not able to do it um, and lose all those exercises. And the crew blames her for being banished to Basculus Station. Now, this station requires you not only to watch the terminus, but to control everything on the ground on Basculus and to control all trade and all that kind of stuff. There's like a million things they have to do. So the first thing she does is she decides to use um, her basically geostationary satellites to patrol the entire area space that she's got to do, right? After she leaves a crew of 20 out of the crew of like, 300 or something like that with the station itself that's manning the tournament so that she can do that part of the job. And she basically doesn't give anyone slack the entire time. So the engineer is busting her hump to try to set up these satellites to patrol stuff. Um, they do a pattern to cover the most likely approaches for everybody because they don't have enough satellites to actually cover the entire volume of space. But realistically, um, just like seagoing vessels, he sets it up so that space-going vessels really have a current that they have to follow. It's easier through hyperspace if you're following a current type of thing and then trying to go against the current or something like that. And that allows you to get to somewhere quicker than you normally would. So most ships take that current to go to a star system because otherwise it would take you what would be like a 22-day into like a four- or five-month thing. And then things like freighters and all that kind of stuff can't utilize that. Even military ships would take a lot of wear and tear to try to sneak around on that kind of stuff. And then the pre-planning ahead of time, because light still travels at light, they don't get any information on data or anything like that ahead of time. So this is kind of like back to snail mail. Uh, for various things, unless you have a wormhole terminus type of thing, like you don't get information until days, weeks, months after things have happened, right? Years in some cases, depending upon where it's going on, like if it's only on the other side of the galaxy type of thing, it could take you a couple of years to get all that information. So 
all the ships tend to travel these routes because it's so much quicker. Um, and then they get into the planet and she's like, well, we need to put some people dirt side to do the air traffic control thing that the Navy is supposed to be doing. So she deploys another crew of about 100 people to the planet side to, to do all that. In the meantime, she realizes that she has to do all of the um, shipping and um, trade examinations and all that kind of stuff. So she goes and does that. As a matter of fact, she convinces a petty officer, let's say it's a little bit shady here, on doing the job, and they end up getting a portion of anything that's seized uh, as a paycheck for the uh, whole entire ship um, when things like this are done because piracy and all that kind of stuff really became real again when it takes months, years for data to get around. So it's, it's back to being piracy and all that kind of stuff. And they can make it seem like ships just disappear in hyperspace. Hyperspace is not the, the safest, safest way to travel. Um, so the, she finds like there's a bunch of illegal trading going on. People are doing illegal trades on of various stuff. She ends up commandeering an entire like super tanker worth of fuel oil type of stuff. And and if you get all that oil and all that kind of stuff, I mean that's that's like a billion dollars on the ocean here. Like she gets that, and it's about the same thing in their time fi- time frame. Like the entire ship gets ten percent of the. Um, the whole ship cost on top of it. Uh, if they ended up commandeering the ship and they ended up to commandeer that whole entire ship. So she ends up getting really rich off of doing her job there in Basculus station. On top of this, she finds out all about a, um, a the USA's analog type of thing um, where they're going to try to take over Basculus station type of thing. So they've, they find like a coup type of attempt. Like what they're trying to do is something like a Bay of Pigs type of thing where they try to convince um, the locals that the, the um, basically the person in charge isn't capable of doing it. So therefore they have to commandeer in the entire um, country type of thing to uh, basically protect everybody else. So, and you find out a little bit more about these bad guys, too, and how that they can't really manage their finances very well, how a lot of things have ended up being kind of a problem and all that kind of stuff. So they go, they get into the habit of just taking over planetary systems um, for milking them for money type of thing. It's just kind of like the U.S. enacting both uh, a bunch of those Indian um Indonesian countries and like the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico and all that kind of stuff back when we're buying all that kind of stuff. Um, they just realized that they were constantly needing money to keep their welfare system afloat. Um, so they were always going after and attacking other smaller star systems and that kind of stuff. And they've set their eye now on Manicor to take over. And it is a smaller star system. And the fact that like um, Haven, which is the U.S. analog, has like 150 planet star systems type of things. Where Manicor has only got about 20 to 25 star systems somewhere in that 
uh, range in which they control of plus they have the wormhole nexus which really allows uh, them to hook up to a couple different places as the Solarian League or like kind of like a whole United Nations type of thing of almost like 3,000 planet star system type things um, just so you guys get a feel of how various things go on in, in this universe and like I said it was a very enjoyable book he also introduces uh, Honor Harrington's Tree Cat Nimitz to you um, and this is a six limb creature um that's telepathic all right and it can read people's feelings it's not like really reading people's minds per se but in their own uh culture the tree cats all read each other's mind and you learn uh, a lot more about nimitz and a bunch of other stuff in some of the later books um and basically at the end of the book Honor Harrington by doing her job, standing up for what's right, and getting all everything done. Stops an attempt by Haven to take over Basilisk Station, puts Manicore on a war footing, right, which sets you up for the next book, the Short Victorious War, and really saves the day, being out in the middle of nowhere, um, Wisconsin type of thing, you know, Wyoming, wherever I first set that up. And I think, like I said, that's a pretty decent synopsis of On Basculus Station. Um, it's a lot more enjoyable to read the book, though. So if you do get a chance, I would do that. That is the first book in this series. It is very enjoyable. You can skip over that first book, however, and then go on to the next book. Um, again, I want to thank you guys for listening. I do appreciate all the listens. I want to thank you um, for downloading. Please keep in mind, again, you can watch me on YouTube. You can listen to me on all your favorite podcasts at Spotify. And Spotify allows you to rate each episode. So when you go in there and Spotify and you're rating the episodes, please give me a like rating and a follow on Spotify. And it makes a huge difference. Um, if you actually listen to me from the beginning, if you unfollow and then follow me more, it affects the uh, algorithm somehow. And... It will just make me show up more to the top. And if you really enjoy it, that helps me get shares and gets going with stuff. All right. Again, I'm sorry for a little bit shorter episode this week, but thank you again for listening. Take it easy.